Hey podcast listeners, we have a special event running on our Goodreads group this month. A Q&A with Shakita Smith, the creator of a brand new series, Raven Choi, available on Comixology Submit. She'll be answering questions for the entire month of April, so please stop by, say hello, and ask a question. Now on to the show. This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two amazing human beings, Tia Vasilio. Hello. And Paul Jaisley. Hello. Super excited for you both to be here. I love talking to the both of you. As I said, before we even started the show, you two are my rocks this week because <laughs> I'm going crazy. So let me ask the question that I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Paul. Uh, I've been good and... Luckily, so have comics. I've read a lot of good stuff this week, one of which was Love and Rockets number two. Uh, this is the new sort of quarterly or three times a year volume that they're doing of Love and Rockets from Fantagraphics by Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez, Los Bros Hernandez. I oh, really yeah. like reading this stuff, seeing their artwork side by side, because if you read the collections of Love and Rockets, they split it up. So you get just Jaime's Loca's stories or just Gilbert's Palomar stories. Reading their stuff side by side is really interesting because they're kind of doing very similar stories. These long running sort of soap opera-esque tales involving this huge cast of characters. Gilbert's is a little weirder. It's a little more like a telenovela soap opera. Lots of deception and, you know, characters that come out of nowhere and stuff. Long lost relatives appearing out of nowhere. Um, Jaime's a little more focused about a small group of friends, but... I like seeing those stories side by side and seeing how similar they are and just through different lenses. And I mean, I've, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, but Jaime Hernandez is the greatest. <laughs> He's second only to Kirby in my mind as far as artwork goes. And to see his style now where it's just so confident, there's not a wasted line on the page. Mm-hmm. He just, I mean, it just It looks so beautiful. And I just love this sort of mature style he has right now. So great to see that stuff back in my pull box again. I also read uh, Gotham Academy second semester number eight, which is the last issue of this current story arc. And of course, as soon as I read it, I heard that they were going to end the series with number 12. So it's a little disappointing because I got back on board this book with the last story arc. The last two issues were mm-hmm. fantastic. And I thought they did a really good job sort of recontextualizing the main character, making her a lot more interesting. So it's kind of a shame it's going to end, but I, I think it'll go out with a bang. So I'm still enjoying that book nonetheless. Well, there's always Gotham Academy Lumberjanes is still out there, isn't it? I, I don't know if that finished or not. I actually didn't read that. So I guess if oh, okay. I s- still need my uh, Gotham Academy fix, I can go back and pick that up. So Definitely. <laughs> um, I read... then you have to read Lumberjanes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's not get into that. Cause I've yeah. re- I tried that and it wasn't for me. So yeah, maybe. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, I did try two new books this week, though. Uh, two new number ones. And I enjoyed them both. Although I read them back to back and realized just how similar they were. So one was God Shaper number one um, from Boom Studios, I believe. That's by Cy Spurrier and Jonas Goonface. I, that's yeah. what his last name says. So Yep, um, that's what it is. <laughs> okay. Um, and then also Black Cloud number one from Image that was written by Jason Latour and Ivan Brandon. Pencils by Greg Hinkle and Colors by Matt Wilson. Both very good books. Both very similar, though. Um, God Shaper um, is a... The premise is a little complicated, but... The short version is, it's 2017, but in this version of 2017, all technological advancements stopped in 1958. 
So there's no new like technology. Instead, everyone has a sort of pet god that they carry with them that performs functions for them and serves as a symbol of their value. It's basically a metaphor for capitalism, if you didn't catch it. Yeah. Um, it's a very good book. And the, the main character is a god shaper who's a guy that is doesn't have a god of his own, but instead can... Um, affect other people's gods and give them new abilities and change their appearance and stuff. So he's someone that's in demand, but is an outcast from society at the same time. Black Cloud, number one, is about a homeless girl in New York who seems to be an outcast from a sort of dream world. And she's in our world now, and she's able to give other people elements of her dream or supernatural ability. And it's kind of like a drug dealer metaphor there. Um, The thing is, both comics are really good, but they both sort of have people of color as these societal outcasts with magical abilities. So they're very similar, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing, because <laughs> it seems like kind of a stock, you know, predictable element. But I enjoyed both books enough to keep with them, so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last but not least, I read, or should I say reread, American Barbarian by Tom Scioli. There's a webcomic he did about five years ago, and the first thing I read by him and it's been collected now by um, IDW in a an affordable, attractive-looking paperback. If you've read Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, uh, you need to go back and reread this stuff because you can see him uh, slowly develop his artistic style. American Barbarian starts off very much as a Kirby homage. It's kind of a spoof, or not a spoof, but a an homage to the New Gods and uh, Commandy. And he even does the Jack Kirby like six panel grid and all the pages and all that stuff. But as he goes on, he's changing his artwork. He's experimenting with watercolors. He's experimenting with photo collage. And you see him develop his sort of contemporary style he uses on Transformers versus G.I. Joe through the pages of the book. And it's really interesting to read this because I read this and then I also read, finally read the Transformers versus G.I. Joe, the movie adaptation. And the the style is so great because you see how he developed his style and changed it made it his own it's not just a kirby homage or steranko homage it's fully his own artwork now so and american barbarian is fantastic i mean i can't even get into how mind-bending some of this stuff is it's almost a tom um almost a grant morrison-esque riff on the uh hero you know hero's journey story mm-hmm. but there's robotic dinosaurs um the main Which villain is always great. Always great. The main villain is named Two Tank Two Tank Amen. So he's a giant pharaoh that rides two tanks around. Um, it's just great, <laughs> great fun stuff. I mean, if you haven't read other Steely stuff and you like Transformers versus GI Joe, you can go pick this up. It's twenty bucks for the whole three hundred page thing. It's awesome. Oh wow, that's yeah. I I didn't realize it was only twenty bucks. It's it's on my gonna buy this when I have more money <laughs> list. Like for sure, I want to read this book. Well, absolutely. Yeah, I that's, think you'll really that's like great. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you, Tia? How have well, you been? Let's start with that, because I, I always keep, I keep forgetting, and I, I've been trying to push that more recently, so. Okay, well, um, it feels like it's been ages since I've been on the podcast, actually. Yeah, I, I don't do this on purpose, I, I promise. I try no, to... No, no. Well, I had to, um, <laughs> I had to actually cancel one the last time I was supposed to be on. Oh, right, right, right. For a reason I can't remember now. I'm sure it, it was, was important. very important. It was a legitimate reason. <laughs> yes. I will say that. Yes. So, oh, I remember my dance competition. Yeah, which is very important. It is. I won best choreography. Oh, wow. Yeah, I heard. That's like, I saw those videos <laughs> on Facebook. That was 
absolutely amazing. Those costumes that you had, those girls, and it's fantastic stuff. My little Sith Lord babies. It yes. was, seriously. <laughs> they are the cutest. Best. Um, so this is the same competition where last year I won best choreography with my war boys. So I feel like this competition just really enjoys my like makeup evil villain concepts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do for next year. Write us in, tweet at me, tell me your ideas. <laughs> yes. If you have some evil characters you want a bunch of teenage girls to dress up and dance as, yes. go for it. Let Tina know. <laughs> um, okay. Comics-wise, it was also a pretty great week. Um, the complete phonogram is here. Mm-hmm. If you would like this religious experience then go and buy it it is beautiful it's 500 pages of gloriousness basically and for the first time ever rue britannia is in full matt wilson color but like i almost feel like he was thinking what would matt wilson have done with these colors at the time it was first created right you know so he I like clearly was thinking about like staying in the period, which I think is like the mid aughts. I don't remember when hmm. that came out. Um, also like seeing Jamie McKelvey's art from back then till now, you, it's that boy has really leveled up. I don't know. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> totally. I mean, his art was always been really good, but it's just, you know, He's he's amazing. Anyway, um, you also get all the B sides, which um, were not in the trades before. So so worth it to go out and buy this gigantic book with the like none more black cover. <laughs> <laughs> See, you know, Tia, I really don't like that whole series, and I've talked to you about this multiple times. I'm gonna buy this book. Just I don't I don't understand it, but a part of me needs this in my life. Just as like a magical grimoire sort of like <laughs> artifact, you need it. Exactly. Yeah. So that when they when someone finds the remains of my burned down <laughs> apartment because I cast the wrong spell, they'll be like, This is the reason. This is the Necronomicon of my evil dead. Um, be careful. I also read Mercury Heat number 12, which was the last book of the series. Listen, like 12 people read this book and everyone else, you seriously missed out. And you're going to pick this up now. And you're going to be like, why didn't I read this when it was ongoing? And, and like now I'm sad because mm -hmm. it was so much fun. It was it's like a sci fi book and there's a crossed crossover, but it's like really meta. And it's just there's a cool woman protagonist. It's so much fun. I loved this book. What is wrong with everybody? I'm sorry I didn't. Yeah, help. yeah, I'm sorry. It, it's an Avatar <laughs> book. Look, I have my theories about why it didn't like get really popular. I, I, people don't expect this kind of thing, I think, from Avatar, and then the Avatar core audience probably wasn't no, so into it, and the sure. cheesecake covers were not doing it any favors. Mm -hmm. But um, for the two of you who have actually read this book, just know that um, <laughs> the main character Louisa, uh, she solves the crossed problem in delightfully meta fashion and then um she you know everyone all the characters sort of have a good uh their ending it it's you'll be happy with where everything lands so anyway so very different than anything else that avatars ever published is what it's you're saying true. <laughs> <laughs> um yes okay then 
continuing, I guess, on the Kieran Gillen adventure this week, The Wicked yeah. and the Divine, number 28, <laughs> is out, uh-huh. which is the end of the Imperial Phase arc, um, part one of Imperial Phase. This is going to be um, a two-parter. And there's lots of sex and drugs and rock and roll and a lot of questions about Woden get answered, which is very exciting. We finally Mystery. get... I know. Um it, and actually, someone I know from Tumblr, this was their theory, so I'm very proud of them, because I feel like no theory has ever been right that any fan has ever posited, so when finally got one, it was so exciting. <laughs> anyway, um, we finally get more Sakmet, which is awesome, because I love her. She's, I actually think she's probably my favorite character in the book. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I definitely have a lot more to say about Sakmet. Maybe I'll write in long form essay or something. Anyway, Amaterasu is officially the worst. Like, I actually think she is the worst. Like, worse than Woden, the worst. Amaterasu, I do not like her. Oh, my God. I need to read this issue. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. (laughs) And also, there's, like, some really serious Baphomet Morgan stuff that's, like, oh, shit. Like, not, yeah, all is not well with them. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so... Um, Rose number one, which I know, Mike, you read, so I'll let you talk about it. I was kind of meh on it, but the villain's oh, pretty... okay. Yeah, I like the villain, basically, okay. is what I liked about it. I'll let you talk more about that one. I want to talk about a new book called Helena Crash. This is coming out from IDW, and mm-hmm. it is by Fabian Rangel Jr. and Warwick Johnson Cadwell. And um, basically, it's a world where coffee is illegal, so just kill me now. <laughs> what? <laughs> Coffee is illegal and Helena Crash is like a dealer. And I think also like a race car driver. I don't know. Um, so the basically she gets mixed up with some gangsters. And so there's this one gangster named Rojo. Rojo. I, I think Rojo. Um, I'm sorry, Spanish speakers. He's like a luchador kind of. Hmm. It's really awesome. And he wants Helena to assassinate a rival gangster named the White Demon. And Helena's trying to save up to retire, but she's like not all about being an assassin. So um, then in issue two, the White Demon hires Helena to get her something like, cause that's part of what Helena does. Like she gets coffee, she can get hard to find items. And so then when she goes to deliver this thing to the white demon, she's like, Hey, I also want to hire you as an assassin. Cause like this Rojo <laughs> guy is like a pain in my ass. And so Helena is basically like, God damn it. I just wanted to like sell some black market coffee, you guys. And <laughs> it's, I just, I love this book. It is so stylish. The art style is like really pointy and sketchy uh you'll see what i mean when you look at it it's kind of got a mid-century modern vibe to it there's like also kind of a tank girl vibe and the the artist clearly loves doing backgrounds and coming up with weird interesting characters there's like aliens and creatures and everyone just looks super cool the writing is not too heavy-handed like it gives the vibe and the aesthetic of the book a lot of room to breathe it's really good there's two issues out you should definitely get it I, that sounds yeah, you just sold super me cool. on it. I'm yes. right now. That sounds Do great. it. Do it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's what I got for you. For me this week, I uh, I read Rose number one. I'll just start right there. Um, I like really dug this book in terms of the art was so good that it was almost distracting. Like it, I didn't want to read the bubbles. I just wanted to stare at the art. Um, the I, I was totally blown away. Iguara's uh, Igrara, I think is his name. 
Um, he he did some phenomenal work. The way he draws animals just blew my mind. Um, I think all of the character designs were really, really well done. Um, the story does have a lot of... Um, it falls into some tropes, uh, which are a little problematic, that I kind of let slide because it, it felt like... I don't know. Sometimes number ones are hard, and there was this really heartfelt opening of the story, or opening of the comic from the from the writer, and she was talking about how like she's so thankful that this book is being made, and she wanted to thank her family and her kids. And I was like, "Well, damn it! I'll at least give you another issue because I didn't think that it was so bad that it couldn't redeem itself in an issue with some of the like more problematic stuff that happened." Uh, but yeah, the the one thing that got me in this book is the art. It's super duper top notch. I. If you want some, if you want to try a good new fantasy book, because there's a million of them now, uh, I think Rose is a very good example of that, that and that's what really was sold me. I, was, I want to try a new fantasy book that isn't Rat Queens and isn't going to make me frustrated beyond belief. So fingers crossed on this one. <laughs> I guess from that perspective, that is the way to sell it for sure. Rose, yeah. it's not Rat Queens. <laughs> yeah, I, and, yeah, and ugh, I did read Rat Queens number two. But I didn't. I don't want to talk about that this week. I'd rather just not. <laughs> the less uh, said about it, the better. Wow. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, not, and it's not that I hate it. I'm already talking about it, so it's not that I hate it. It's just I'm frustrated by it. And I told myself I'd give it an arc because that's what I do for books that I think deserve a chance, like Rose, God Shaper, all the fucking X Men books. I'm giving them all an arc, <laughs> and then we'll see. I'll cut off, cut them off there if I don't like them. Um, like I'm also doing that with Motor Crush and a couple of others. So. Or are you not liking Motor Crush? I did not care for the first issue, but then everyone told me, oh, Mike, no, no, don't worry, second and third. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you sons of bitches, mm-hmm. you all say that you won't follow through. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna keep going. There, Motor Crush had some really interesting pieces to it that I couldn't deny were really cool and really interesting that I wanted, I would like to see play out. So I'm definitely going to keep reading it. I just, I've picked up the issues. I just haven't actually sat down to read them. Otherwise, I did read God Shaper. I think Paul explained it perfectly. Simon Spurrier, I think, might be my favorite writer at this point. I I did not think that that was going to happen. But reflecting back on rereading X-Men Legacy um, and looking, I was telling someone about uh, Six-Gun Gorilla. I was like, Simon Spurrier is just, he's fantastic. Everything that he touches, I really enjoy and he, he knows how to hit different beats and knows how to tell different types of stories. And every single time he does it, <laughs> I really enjoy it. So, and God Shaper is the exact same thing. I'm totally on board for this book. I really just want to thank him for making me really like love independent comics again. Because not that I haven't, but Cy Spurrier, I, just, I always look forward to what weird thing is he going to do next. And it like encourages me to try other weird things <laughs> um, by trying his stuff. This isn't like Warren Ellis, where I really like I'll read Warren anything Warren Ellis is doing. I just know what I'm gonna get. Simon Spurrier has been a constant surprise, and that's what I really appreciated about God Shaper. Um, Are you reading the Dark Crystal one that he's writing? I am not reading that one, but at this point, I'm pretty much just gonna buy everything that he's ever written, including all of his <laughs> crossed stuff that he did. Oh God! Oh. <laughs> you should I'm read worried. Mercury Heat too, because like See, just and, do but, the cross thing. Yeah, I'll, I, well, the way that you've described the, the stuff that happens with the crossed bits on Mercury Heat, I just got to see it. I have to Look, see it. I'm going to buy like 10 trades of it if it ever gets trade. Oh, hopefully the second arc will also get trade. I'm just going to basically yeah. like hand it out to everybody. Like, just trust <laughs> me, okay? Well, other, other than that, I did read X-Men Blue number one and Weapon X number one. And like, as I went crazy last week, 
I was very mad at myself this week after I finished reading those two issues because I liked them and I'm going to keep reading them. And of course, Greg Pak would make me love a stupid book about Old Man Logan, Sabretooth, and all the <laughs> Weapon X characters. Of course he would. No other writer could do that like Greg Pak did. And somehow I got hooked into issue one. X-Men Blue, back to basics. I'm, again, so very mad about how much I liked and enjoyed X-Men Blue. I'm going to keep buying it out of spite, I think. I don't, like, I hate myself. <laughs> but, but you enjoyed for this. it, though. So how could it be out of spite if you enjoyed it? I don't know. I just, it's such, such a surprise. Like, I put up with, like, three years of just crappy <laughs> X Men books. Sure. And now, like, Marvel finally got it. And now I can get back on. And now I can actually tell people who haven't read X Men books, you can actually jump on in this series. Oh, this okay. is the first time I've actually feel like there's a clear cut. Like, X-Men Blue and X-Men Gold totally work as starter number ones hmm. um, because they do a good job of giving backstory. And then, like, in X-Men Gold, they straight up just go, all right, here's four pages of actual, let's get you caught up on who these characters are and how they got to the place that they're at right now, which is super, which was super duper surprising to me. So, I, I'm just... Like it's it's it, like I've had this stress and this anger in the back of my head for so long. I don't know what to do with it now that it's not really. There's no reason for it anymore. So that's <laughs> that's where I'm sitting with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't know. X Men Blue. It was it was so good. I couldn't. I can't believe how how much I liked it. And that's that's what was the biggest surprise. I went into it thinking there's no way I'm going to enjoy this. Um, the original five are not interesting, except for now Beast has magic powers, and that makes the whole book. Oh, crazy and cool, I guess. I don't know. Oh. X-Men are stupid, guys. Don't read X-Men <laughs> books, but except for these ones, they're really good. Um, <laughs> finally, though, I did read, I started to catch up on Uber Invasion. Um, I'm finally caught up with issue number five, Kieran Gillen. My man, this is some fantastic writing, like unbelievably awesome historical fiction. What if the Nazis got the quote unquote bomb first and then they invaded America? <laughs> And that's what this story is. It is brutal. It's everyone's a bad guy. No one's great. Like he's totally trying to reflect that war is there's no tr clear winner. There's no clear good guy in war. Everyone is bad. And no, I've never read a book like this before. That's really made me think and process. Like it doesn't matter what's happening. It probably has to do with the topic this week. No, it doesn't matter what's happening. Like everyone loses when war happens. And Uber Invasion is great, as well as some other books that I read that we're going to talk about later in the show regarding the topic today. So, yeah, whew. Uber Invasion, Nazis, crazy stuff. Uh, Avatar Press, and so it's like I was like I was saying, no one ever ends with a happy ending, and that's exactly how Uber Invasion kind of keeps things going, which is why I think it's surprising that Mercury Heat was actually a happier ending. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that. It's a happy ending in that, like, this, the book was ending, and so you might as well just do whatever you want to do, you know? Oh, oh, like it concludes well, yeah. rather than okay. But even still, I think that that's that's something worth worth noting. I think Avatar doesn't have a good track record of ending books for the most part either. But anyways, we can move on. Talk about <laughs> other things. I'm going to talk about X Men again. So, comic <laughs> books come out <laughs> on April twenty sixth. Set your counters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, date, that date's totally wrong. Comic yeah, books come right. out on April nineteenth. Twenty sixth is next week. So, comic books are released on April nineteenth, two thousand seventeen. That's Wednesday. It's going to be exciting. What are you guys excited for this week? Let's start with you, Tia. 
I'm really excited for Underwinter number two. You guys know how I love Ray Fox. Um, we had that great mini-sode Kate and I did. I'm calling it great only because um, we got a shout out from Ray Fox. for. So I am just going to like go with great. That was exciting. Yeah, it was a very um, good episode. It was a very good mini-sode. I liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Intersect. If you struggled with intersect but you liked the art which is feedback i hear from a lot of people then try underwinter because it's the same gorgeous sort of like sexy goth watercolors but it's a more linear story so that might kind of be a more uh accessible Ray Fox book for people. And basically yeah. there's like demons and artists and sex and there's these musicians and they're uh, offered this really weird gig for like a ton of money. And so they take it and then I guess they like are cursed now and <laughs> terrible things happen to them. So yeah. <laughs> you know, the covers for this book are absolutely terrifying and I think that's awesome. Like, Did you see the it, Jeff Lemire variant? And I think there's the Dustin Nguyen coming up for number two also. I didn't. Yeah. I will have to look those up. I just p- posted the Dustin Nguyen. I reblogged on Tumblr that from him, the one that he's okay. doing. So yeah. I will have to check that out. And then this book, I think I'll eventually pick it up in trade because I really did like, I was one of those people that said, I really like the art, but the story, what is happening? <laughs> and yeah, so this this book is gorgeous looking on the inside. I flipped through it a couple times. It's whew, exciting. But Paul, what are you excited for this week? Well, uh, I have a very big pull list this upcoming week. There's a lot of books that I was tempted to discuss here. Same. Um, we have, you know, the the... The, finally, the Batman Flash crossover starting this week. We have a new issue of Batwoman. But my pick, the book I was kind of the most excited about and seems the most interesting, is Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye, number seven. <laughs> I've been praising this book on this podcast. Uh, I'm sure you've heard me talk about it before. It's about, written by John Rivera, art by Michael Avon Oming. I really enjoyed this book. It's a fun adventure story. One of my favorite moments in the series so far, and it's, I guess slight spoilers, in one issue, there's a moment where Cave Carson and his daughter and um, Wild Dog are, you know, in the underground civilization fighting off uh, their enemies there. And things are looking pretty grim. They don't know how to get out of this mess. And Cave Carson says he has a plan, though, to get him out of this situation. And his plan is to call Superman because he met Superman a couple times and they had some adventures together back in the day. So he picks up his cell phone and dials Superman's number and gets the <laughs> boop, boop, boop. This number is no longer working, no longer valid. Oh, no. So that throws a wrench into their plans. So they hinted at this idea that Cave Carson had a sort of superhero connection. He knew Superman, had some adventures with him. And issue seven, this issue will sort of be the chance for him to tell that story. So issue six kind of had this weird cliffhanger ending. Issue seven is going to be sort of a, a flashback issue where we get to see Cave Carson hanging out with Superman and see what their connection is. That sounds awesome to me. I absolutely love this book and uh, I, I cannot wait for it to be collected so people can finally discover how great it is. So, Plus those backups, man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, issue six had the, the last uh, installment of the Tom Scioli, there's that name again, um, mm-hmm. superpower stories and that said that was the last one of volume one so I'm wondering when there's going to come back if it's going to be a back with another book or when Cave Carson comes back after a slight break it sounds like a lot of these young animal books are kind of wrapping up their first season season quote unquote and then coming back with a second story arc soon 
Gotcha. Hopefully that happens. So yeah, if they collect Cave Carson, hopefully they collect that superpower stuff as well. Because my God, that is some crazy comics. Yeah, I read the first issue of Cave Carson, and the first one about the Wonder <laughs> Twins is just <laughs> insanity. <laughs> Uh, for me this week, uh, like I said, I'm talking about X-Men. X-Men Gold number two comes out. Despite all the controversy that's been going on with this book, I actually really enjoyed this back to basics. Kitty Pride leading a team of the X-Men. We've got your classic Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, Kitty Pride. The gang's all back together. This is like the X-Men that I really enjoyed reading when I first started getting into comic books. And to see the, them all back together on a team, or to see them all together, I guess, on a team, uh, is really really exciting and i love kitty pride i love colossus i love storm i th- it's such a fantastic team that they put together like they put through old man logan in there because they need their wolverine substitute until they bring back wolverine i guess but uh, on the whole this book totally worked the number one was unbelievably good surprised me more than any other x-men book has in a long time save x-men legacy and I'm totally on board, 100% hooked. This didn't make me upset like X-Men Blue and Weapon X did. This was a, I want this to be good, I want this to be good, and it totally hit the ball out of the park, nailed the abs- the, the the idea of what the X-Men are. Mark Guggenheim, he's doing everything right about the X-Men, so I'm really excited about what's coming next. And I look forward to reading this book until Marvel decides to renumber it in 12 months. So... <laughs> <laughs> It's good stuff. I have you guys. Did you guys try X Men Gold at all? I don't know. I'm like, feel like I've been pushing it, but I don't know if anyone actually ventured out into that strange territory or not. I mean, that's a that's a hurdle that's hard for me to get over because I read. I tried reading X Men comics when I was a teenager, and that's in the '90s, and I couldn't understand any of it. Like it was so convoluted to me. Totally. And I just feel like it's probably gotten worse in the past 20 years. It did. It it totally did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's all Grant Morrison's fault. No. Oh, see, because uh, that's the one X-Men thing I've read that I liked. But No, yeah. I, I know. I'm totally yeah. kidding. Yeah. Uh, the, Tia, have you tried it? Did you try number one at all? I don't know if you had a chance. No, but I don't really have any emotional connection to any X-Men that would like pull me to these books I just am at the point where I feel a little oversaturated by them and I'm like all right well this is x-men like viridian or whatever color they are now I don't know (laughs) yes yeah it's totally understandable I I I only ask because I feel like this this could be that book that really brings people back to x-men if you had any interest at all this might be the book that does it I'm keeping my hopes very high on it so you're going to hear me plugging this for the rest of time on the show. So I hope everyone out there who's listening is ready. <laughs> Our show this week is all about nonfiction comic books, how comics can tell stories that happened in real life in a way that we may or may not have seen, such as biographies, journalism, historical nonfiction, things like that. Um, we, I think, between Tia, Paul, and myself, we have some books that we know that we where we have read and we have thoughts on. Um, but the bigger discussion here is where do these books sit? Like, what is their, you know, value? Does this medium, does comic books work to tell nonfiction stories? If so, if not, why? So, I mean, to start, I can easily say that a lot of the nonfiction books that I've read have worked for me. I Like, for instance, Hip Hop Family Tree was something. It was a way that for me to get into the history of hip hop without having to, you know, sit down and read, you know, probably three or four 
books or watch a bunch of documentaries and things like that. And for me, it was a more digestible format. Um, so d does the nonfiction genre work the same for you two? Is it like a more easily digestible format for these types of stories for you two? Not really for me. I, I'll I'll volley this over to Paul in a second because I think that he's more on the pro side of it. Mm -hmm. There are, are notable exceptions, but on the whole, it's not my preferred medium for nonfiction. Why do you think that is? Or I should say, why is that? Not why do you think? <laughs> well, let me change your mind because you're wrong. No. Um, why do you think that it doesn't work for you? Why doesn't it work for you? Christ, let me, let me use my words correctly. <laughs> words are hard. <laughs> Um, basically, I just, I don't know. I think I used to be a historian, so I've, I, I have read a lot of prose nonfiction, and I, I, it's probably just the way that my brain has been trained to synthesize and analyze that sort of information. Okay. I, I was, uh, you know, my brain is trained to deal with visual imagery very differently, and... So um, for me, there's, I don't know, it just, when I read comics, I'm reading for story and for entertainment, basically. Gotcha. And that, that, that's kind of the, the other side of the, the, the coin here is, you know, comic books are typically used as a medium for fiction and entertainment for suspension of disbelief, things like that. So to try to bring nonfiction into it, it's always very interesting. But I'll, Paul, I'll let you jump in here. Yeah, uh, well... I should, maybe I should start by saying the book that sort of triggered this topic in my mind and why I suggested it was uh, Sarah Glidden's recent book, Rolling Blackouts, which is a book that is about Sarah Glidden's travels to Syria, um, Iraq, and Turkey covering the refugee crisis. And it's a book that is about her chronicling or journaling her friend's work as journalists covering this topic. So it's like why it was interesting to me is that it, it presented the information in a comic book format, but it's information that you normally would just have as a piece of normal journalism, whether radio journalism or newspaper journalism. And it raised the question, of, is that type of objective reporting possible in comics in my mind? And I think it is. And I think one of the reasons I'm really attracted to these type of comics is that it presents very personal stories and events or historical complex narratives in a sort of more digestible way. I tend to read a lot of nonfiction books myself. I don't read a lot of novels, so I'm kind of just drawn to those types of stories anyway. And I like the the element of someone taking the time not just to write a story, but illustrate it. And a lot of these books that I have to mention as examples are books that are just done by a single creator. Somebody taking the time of their own to either tell their own story, for example, Alison Bechtel's Fun Home, or, you know, um, Persepolis by Marjane uh, Satrapi. Those are books that are deeply personal stories, but they're expressed through a visual medium, which is I've, I find more engaging than most prose books, personally. Gotcha. So I guess the the other side of things is is where do, or another piece of this is, where does art come into, you know, the depiction of things? Because I think uh, to... The opposing point to what you just said, Paul, I think art can kind of craft a 
a specific angle or a literal angle or viewpoint that may mm-hmm. or may not be the intention. I mean, if, if someone's trying to, you know, especially tell like a, right. a more objective story, if you start to depict, you know, the person that you deem as the bad guy or whatever in the story mm-hmm. in a different way, it can kind of skew the reader's mentality. And I mean, yeah, like that, that exists in journalism today. Like, you know, it's the way that we describe people, the way that we dis- you know discuss their actions and things. But um, I think comic books have a much bigger impact in how you can skew someone's perspective. So um, <laughs> I just I think that's a really interesting play- or thing for nonfiction books. Um, in that you know when we draw a villain in a in a superhero comic, we you know we put a big mustache on them um, or we put a cape on them because capes are evil. I think uh, <laughs> I think I, I, unless it's Superman, I don't know. Sure. But uh, you know if you draw someone like that in a comic book, you know you give them the the big twirly mustache to make them look like the person who's tied somebody to the train tracks. Um, then yeah. you may perceive them incorrectly, um, or you may perceive them in a more negative light or something like that. So. I well, yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think what you're hinting at is the, this idea that, you know, when I, when I mentioned Rolling Blackouts right off the top, because it's a book that actually struggles with that idea of how do you present information in an objective format, and it kind of says you can't. Everything is going to be interpreted through your own recollection. So when you have a personal story, you know, like Persepolis, or, you know, Tia mentioned My Friend Dahmer, which is a fantastic book, and but it's going to be presented through the artist's own memory and recollection. So there's necessarily going to be an interpretation going on. It's not purely objective. See, and I think that's what I, why my friend Dahmer is for me one of the notable exceptions in that it's a nonfiction comic I really liked because the point of that book is that it is told from the perspective of the creator. It's not mm-hmm. a documentary about Jeffrey Dahmer's high school years. Right. It is a book about Durf Backdurf being friends with this guy who turns out to be an infamous serial killer later on in life. And and it's about Backdurf kind of reminiscing and and going over all of the things that later on would be like, oh yeah, that dude is for sure a serial killer. But, you know, (laughs) like it's, you know what I mean? And so I think that when reminiscence and personal uh, lenses and perspectives are part of the point of telling the story, then that's a really compelling way to do it but right as journalism i'm less convinced yeah see i think that's why the the march books you know um by senator john lewis i think that's why those books work so well because they were strictly told from john lewis's point of view um and it sold the story so much well because you connect not only with him um but you also connect with the people that he has in you know relationships with throughout that series uh, which I see now. I got to read this, my friend Dahmer book. I know that I've seen a lot of images <laughs> for, it, but I, I forgot that that's the premise. It's yeah. about a friend, <laughs> like actual friend of, of Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, just kind of reflecting back on. Oh shit! I went to high school with this guy, which is that <laughs> that blows my mind. The film is debuting at Tribeca Film Festival in a few weeks. So, um, oh, and, they made, and actually, I'm film? pretty sure that it is completely out of like sold out. Like you can find it in bookstores that already had stock. Like. But the uh, I think last week, Backdorf tweeted that it was like completely out of print. Wow! Well, you, I, you could read it on Comicsology, I think. Yeah, just get a digital version, right? <laughs> I actually find comic books, particularly as I mentioned, these a lot of these books are done by single creators um, for smaller uh, publishers and stuff. So I find 
comics inherently to be a very personal art form, the amount of time that goes into creating them, the labor that goes into drawing them and crafting the story. So I, I feel that by taking a sort of, whether it's a historical event and interpreting through your own you know, expression or whether it's a type of journal that someone's creating and putting out there for people to read, they're very personal comics. I mean, you know, one of the biggest examples, of course, is Mouse by Art Spiegelman, which I mean, that is a work of historical fiction in one sense, because he's retelling the story of the Holocaust, but he's telling it from his grandfather or his father's perspective. And he's telling a story about his relationship with his father. So it's a big historical event filtered through a very personal lens. And then also the way he draws, you know, the Nazis are portrayed as cats, the Jews are portrayed as mice. So it's an artistic license on top of all that. So it's multiple layered and very personal where just reading a book about a big historical event like the Holocaust might not feel as personal as opposed to reading a book like Mouse. That's why I find those books more appealing to me than just reading a sort of uh, a book without pictures, so to speak. Yeah, and I I think that you could also make the opposite argument that by anthropomorphizing these people it mm-hmm. abstracts from the the reality that it, that it was a lived experience for people and that it makes it too easy to like read it with a sort of distance of of fiction of some kind whereas sure. you know like but I, you can't even i mean photographs have been uh the, the the sort of the truthfulness of photographs is in is questionable going back to like mm-hmm. Matthew Brady and civil war photography like honestly there is no objective visual medium but th- not that there's right. an objective written medium either necessarily but i think that um there are i don't know we as a culture i think are more trained somehow to be analytical when of, of something as nonfiction when it's presented in in prose mm-hmm. and so right. it's, and so it's, it's to, I don't think that's a good thing because we live in such a visual culture and we need more visual literacy and we need people to be more able to like I said earlier synthesize and analyze visual information and so along those lines I, you know, I have a few teacher friends who are using March in the classroom and I just think, you know, it's not just a great way to teach kids about this history, but it's also training them to be um, more adept at reading visual information, which is really important. Totally. (laughs) I, uh, sorry to go back to something that Tia had said a while ago, um, there was she said you mentioned that like you know reading a comic book that's like a documentary uh, may not be as interesting but i i found that hip hop family tree reads like a true documentary like it's it's not it's doesn't take place from ed pisker's stand, point of view it's it's just him telling the story of things which i thought was like a killer way to deliver information um because i i can't think of many other comic books that tell stories like that like maybe the the box brown um story about andre the giant you know mm-hmm. uh, i think that that kind of has feels like the same in the same vein where it's it's just telling little pieces of story or like documenting this man's life um and hip-hop hip-hop family tree also does that um but i what i will say is the difference between something like march which is told from john lewis's perspective versus hip-hop family tree which is told just from an a an omnipotent narrator point of view um hip-hop family tree takes 
way longer to read. You have to analyze so much more. Um, you have to keep, you know, keep track of a lot of characters, keep track of a lot of, I mean, they're not characters, they're actual people. Um, you ha- but you have to keep track of all this different stuff. And it's, it's, it's like reading prose nonfiction. And, and I found that to be, um, well, very interesting in comic book form because there are like, you know, images to help you keep track of everyone and keep track of all the different bits of things that are happening in the background. Um, without having to read paragraph after paragraph of, of description. Uh, but I also found it just took a long time to read. Like the first volume, I think, took me easily an hour, hour and a half to read just to make sure <laughs> that I was completely absorbing it and understanding what was going on because a lot happens in that volume. And for the rest of that series, a lot happens issue after issue after issue. Um, so, yeah, the, the personal standpoint thing definitely helps makes the make books like that more digestible, more like easier to read maybe isn't the right word but just more easier to read i don't know how else to describe it (laughs) (laughs) no yeah you're hinting at something really important mike because that uh, hip-hop family tree is an incredibly dense book there's so much information in that book and it would not read the same if you were just reading it without ed piscar's illustrations because i mean you're talking about a culture that not only was musical but also fashion breakdancing you know, uh, graffiti art, and his ability to kind of take all of that and give you just a visual sense of what it looked like and felt like at that time, it's just as important as the details of who recorded what song when, yeah. which is a lot of the book. But being able to see, yeah, immediately, okay, that's that's how Run DMC dressed, and then you see him again, it reinforces the, the sort of larger aesthetics of the of the the movement, you know, in, in hip hop. Yeah, totally. And and same thing with you know the Andre the Giant book by Box Brown, which is a book that blurs the whole point of that book is blurring the line between truth and fiction it says yes i could tell a biographical true story about andrei rusimov but he was a larger than life character who was portraying this character andrei the giant so the book itself necessarily moves between you know biographical elements and the tall tales that other wrestlers told about andrei the giant so it really blurs that line and the way box brown is able to visually show that by some panels, Andre kind of is shoulder to shoulder with his fellow wrestlers. and other stories, he's towering over people. So using the visuals to blur that line, I thought was really interesting. Same thing with Box Brown's book about Tetris, which uh, the story of Tetris, it's so, it's so good because it's so complex. You're dealing with like serious legal matters, lawsuits, trade, uh, copyright policy, international rights. But the visualization of it and the way he draws it actually makes it interesting instead of sort of a dry, you know, boring story. Sure, sure. And, and, you know, and speaking of that line between, you know, blurring things between truth and fiction, I did read Living Level 3, which is a book by Justin Dysart, uh, Albert, Alberto Ponticelli, and Pat Massoni. Massioni? I'm murdering names today. I'm so sorry. Uh, it's, it's a book about the like UN relief aid that exists in Afghanistan, Iraq, and how the people that are working there basically trying to help refugees and just misplaced people and like millions of misplaced people um, that don't have a home that have just been moved because of, you know, various terrorist activity, all whatever you want to call it out there. Um, and it's it's not a book that's based wholly in fact like a lot of the information is is based off of real things that have happened but the you know the primary story the focal story of the book is um i think names changed slight events changed um about some characters like 
the family that gets that has to move because their their town is being overrun um their children go missing someone who works for the relief aid is is a person that works in the communications department you're just kind of getting all these perspectives of a real thing that happened um but the characters themselves may or may not be actual real people and i think obviously the point of the book um or maybe not obviously I should shouldn't use that word but the the point of the book is to maybe enlighten you and to say like you don't really know what's going on out here um here is a perspective to give you an understanding about what's actually happening in Iraq and Afghanistan and I thought that was a really interesting way to tell that story because you don't like yes you maybe connect with the characters that are in the book but the actual the real story is there is a lot of really crazy shit happening and so many so many people are involved that it's unfathomable which is something I really enjoyed and to me I would consider that you know historical fiction in a weird way but mm-hmm. it is telling it's using truth in order to tell a fiction story like it's using the real world to tell a fictional story to get across a bigger idea and it, which is it, I don't know where that if that necessarily falls into nonfiction comics but it, it starts to blur that line a little bit more um, yeah so I, I don't know. And I think there's a lot more out there that's like this, like living level three, um, where there, you know, there is some fiction that exists in the re- like in order to tell a story that's happening in the real world, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if I think Tia, you had some you had some thoughts about that, I, but I, I just don't, I don't want to step on your toes about going into we I think we before that we had started recording, we were talking about uh, political cartoons and web comics and things like that. So. I don't um, know if you have any words on that there. Well, yeah, I the, I mean the the web uh web series stuff was really more about um like autobiographical comics which I think in a lot of cases start off as web comics. And um so that's kind of taking that in a different uh direction, but yeah, you know, there are things like political cartoons and satire that are not necessarily a sequential narrative uh, and so I, it kind of is in the same realm that we're talking about which is sort of using visual language to convey information and uh, the I don't know the usefulness of that mm-hmm. and so I I don't know I think that in, a, in some cases it's more effective in a cartoon versus a graphic novel depending on what the subject is yeah i don't know if i would read a whole graphic novel of new yorker cartoons about (laughs) the political world (laughs) by any means but uh, i mean you kind of don't need to yeah yeah Yeah. that's sort of the beauty of them is is that they're there's one image that's saying a lot instead of a lot of images that are saying one thing right yeah yeah. So all you nonfiction writers out there who are doing comic books, nail it at one picture. If you need to, maybe two. You know. Uh. <laughs> well, so I kind of want to return to this the the idea of um, a journalistic not not a journalistic comic, but uh, a personal journal, maybe like a diary type comic. Like I think those are common as well. Yeah, because. Sure. Um, you have autobiographical comics. I mean, I mentioned Fun Home by Alison Bechtel, which is probably one of the best known examples. Um, but that's someone, you know, telling a story. And I, I'm interested in comics that maybe aren't 
telling a, a full narrative of, of someone's life or maybe capturing certain moments yeah. or certain experiences that they had. Well, there's like, I mean, there's Emmy Town, which is by Emmy Lennox and the mm-hmm. mixtape books by Jamaica Dyer. And yeah, they're more like vignettes mm-hmm. or almost, I mean, they almost feel like a journaling where it's just sort of, here's my thoughts on the day. Here's what I did. Here's how I'm feeling. Um, I, I don't know. This is just me. I'm going to sound like such a jerk, but like, <laughs> I, I guess I would read my friends autobiographical comics like that, but I don't know why you would read some random person's like, here's what I did today. Comics. Hmm. Sure. I don't know. I mean, it, well, like with anything else, there's some of those that really work for me and some of that don't. It really depends on the art style. Yeah. Because when you're talking comics, it's almost, you know, it's the visual immediacy of it. I mean, if you're talking about that type of comic, you, I mean, Harvey Picar was really probably the first person to really do that kind of stuff, where he's using the comic book medium to just tell his mundane day-to-day life situations. And I love some Harvey Picar stuff, and some of it I find absolutely tedious and unreadable. It really just depends on the art and what kind of story he's telling. But I mean, you go back to that stuff, and I think his innovation of using the visual medium to tell that sort of day-to-day everyday routine kind of stuff and i think that's kind of become more common obviously some examples that stuck in my mind of ones that i like are the lucy nisley's comics that she's published um she's done books about her experiences eating food uh, french milk and relish or books like that which are really great oh, books right right and then she also did a couple travelogues that i really liked one was called age of license where it's her taking like a month-long vacation and just traveling across Europe. And there's not really a narrative thread to follow per se, but every stop is her saying, this is, you know, the experience I had meeting these people. And, you know, just kind of capturing that moment in her art. And her artwork is very simple and sort of watercolor. And it's 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 cute without being uh, simplistic. I don't know how to really describe it. It's It's not too precious, but it's still enjoyably cute in a weird way. Sure. And then um, her also her book um, Displacement, which is about her taking her elderly parents on a cruise and just having to baby basically babysit these you know seven year old grandparents that she, her grandparents um, and seeing how they're struggling with the day to day lives on this cruise. And it's it's not really a narrative so to speak, as it just moments that she's capturing in the comics. And I just think. If it was a different art style, it wouldn't work for me. It just the way that she captured it in the art really sort of put me in those moments with her. So I can see that it's someone, again, it's a stranger's experience that might not be that interesting on the surface, but the immediacy of the comic medium made me like those stories a lot. Yeah, I think that this is, it's a it's a weird thing to, to, to think about, but to me, that sounds to me like a, uh, sharing like home movies or like a you know like a home video diary or something like that where you're just you know you're you're hoping that someone can maybe relate to something that that you've done or you've experienced um which i think uh to to tia's point maybe isn't for like a broad audience and that fits Mm -hmm. in like a very niche very small like area which is why you'll probably see a lot of these things being published by small press or they're probably published you know 
they're self-published or published online because it's it's hard to say you know everyone will understand this thing where yeah you know I didn't understand how my my grandparents lived and so now I'm going to walk through you know how they did that because that's that's a <laughs> very very niche subject I think yeah. and yeah. and again to Tia's point it's like why why would you want to read something like that if they unless you knew that person um, I think it's 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 hard to say like what what draws you to a, you know a connection like that but. Um, I, I totally understand the point to you at, at, at the same time. Like, I don't know if a story like that would be interesting to me, but, you know, if I was maybe in a similar position, a, a story like that may just help me, you know, mentally understand, like, well, someone else has experienced something similar to me. Um, and I think that's why, you know, people blog online and they'll just talk about their daily experience or something that happened to them um, as a way to get the feelings out onto paper or onto, you know, a blog or something to say that they've actually created it. Um, and I wonder if that's like where these types of stories start and then they develop into a more like understandable, not complete narrative, but they're just a, they something that is worthwhile publishing to that person. And th now we're drifting into like a, a strange territory of like very, 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 very small press of people doing <laughs> smell, you know, self-publishing um, about their daily lives and things that may, may be interesting or not interesting that happened to them. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, Emmy Town's published by image so mm -hmm. you know but i think you know so i i actually think that the value in these types of comics is learning how to be a good comics creator because totally. like you know if you're making these little comic vignettes about yourself you have to sort of think about like what is the essential moment of this experience what it, you know you have to kind of block the scene you have to draw the facial expressions what colors are going to be you know what I mean like if you mm -hmm. if that it, I could see it being an interesting and important exercise for like figuring out how to tell stories and because you know everything about your experience as a person you can like that is the a great uh sort of thing to test out your ideas about how to tell a story in, in a comic medium. So, you know, or like, I mean, people get a lot out of journaling, I hear. And so maybe they like <laughs> are interested in the way other people talk about their, I don't know. I, I, I sound like uh, such a, a jerk right now. It's just no, not no, my thing. I, know, no. <laughs> I think no. that that's totally fine. Cause it's, it's, I mean, you can like whatever you like. That's that's okay. You don't have to like everything. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just think that's an interesting idea you hinted at. The, how being able to draw from memory or from experience might teach someone or train someone how to express an idea visually. Yeah. Rather right. than just like, I'm just going to draw Superman, you know. Right. There's more to it. It's like, let me draw this, you know, this scene I remember from my childhood or something. So it's deeply personal. And I think that's what I always come back to is why I enjoy these comics so much is that it really does feel like you're almost communicating with the person because they're they're putting those images down on the page the way they remember them, and it's you're kind of reading their memories in a weird way. And you know, I mentioned Harvey Pekar, and I think that's you know he basically that was his his uh, inspiration was to say, yeah, I'm kind of, I don't want to read comics that are just the same old stories over and over again, good guys and bad guys. I want to see what I can use this medium to express. What's the limits of the medium and you know, he didn't draw, but he would write down the stories and have someone else interpret them visually. And 
Yeah, I mean, some of his stories are just so mundane, and I kind of just love that because he just thought, like, somebody might want to read this. Or it's not even important if someone wants to read it. I just need to get this experience off my chest, and this right. is the way I'm going to do it. You right. know, there's that one story he did where it's him going about his day, and there's like three different things that he experiences. He says, oh, that's going to be a great idea for a comic. I'll have to write that down. And then he never writes it down, and he goes to bed. He's like, I'll remember those ideas when I wake up. And he wakes up and he can't remember. Of course, he remembered them because he made the comic about it. But just that experience, we've all had that experience where you have an idea. It's like, oh, I got to write that down so I don't forget it. Right. Like, no, I'll remember it. And then you forget. And it's just such a universal story. But something about the way he tells it and the artist interprets it makes it a lot more engaging. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm going to put links to all this stuff that we talked about today in the notes, the show notes, because, you know, if, if you find this stuff interesting, I mean, it's out there. It's just you got to you just got to know where to find it. I think the the one other the one other piece of this that I could say is going along the lines of web comics is I'm a sucker and I got into those the webtoon thing that exists out there in the world and I found a handful of slice of life type comics that have been really funny really interesting just to hear someone's like I think to what Paul was saying someone's just perspective on a thing that happened to them and a lot of the times it's it's comedy oriented it's here's a dumb thing or a goofy thing that happened to me um, but it, you do get a you get a feeling for this person like who they are, like the types of things that they value. You start to understand another person rather than just a fictional character that you can relate to. And it's, again, it's just building a connection between you and another person, which is which is always nice. Nonfiction has that, that capability, especially if you're telling an autobiographical story about something that happened to you and another person can relate to it. Yeah. So read some webtoons. And again, it just <laughs> speaks to, it speaks to the flexibility and, you know, limitless nature of the medium, I think that you can do all these types of stories and it fits all different types of uh, narratives, whether they work for you or not, but there's, there's always another uh, innovation that someone could make, I guess. Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks this week to Tia Vasiliu and Paul Jaisley. The music in this episode is brought to you by our favorite band in the universe, Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. Now, if you enjoy the show, tell someone about it. Tell your friends, tell your family, anyone who likes comic books. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give us lends a little more exposure, helps us grow, brings us up the iTunes charts, so when someone searches comic books, we're the first podcast out there. It's also a great way for us to get feedback about the program we create each week for you. So give us five stars because we love you and we'll give you five stars when we see you. You can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org and if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature here on the show and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode of our show at our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast for updates and ridiculous retweets. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is visit our website, ircb.us. Now, until next time, from all of us here at the show, we love you so very much. Thank you for listening. <laughs>